and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 6.7, the seventh and last episode in our series on the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. In this episode, Brian and I speak with Liz Etnier. Having never hiked before, Liz became passionate about hiking in the Great Smoky Mountains at age 58. With 800 miles of trails, she set out a goal to hike every trail in the park before her 60th birthday. Her book, The Day Hiker's Guide to All the Trails in the Smoky Mountains, has resulted from her hours of planning and from the subsequent urging of her hiking friends to write it all down. Before we get to the conversation, we would like to ask for your help to grow our audience. If you enjoy listening to Everybody's National Parks, please tell your friends. Also, we love creating each episode, but it takes significant time and effort. Please consider supporting our work through Patreon, which provides a way for listeners to support the show. Just go to our website, everybodysnationalparks.com, and click on Support the Show. Thank you for listening. Now for this week's discussion on the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. I'm Brian, here with Danielle, and on the line today, we have Liz Etnier, whom we met in Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and Liz is here to talk to us a little bit about her insights for the park, and I think she is a particular expert, as she wrote a book called A Day Hiker's Guide to All the Trails in the Smoky Mountains, and it sounds like Liz at 58, having never hiked before, caught the bug, started hiking, and then set a goal for herself of hiking every trail in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park prior to her turning 60. And Liz, I think you did do it, right? You hit that goal, right? I did. I finished in October. I turned 60 in December. And actually in October, we were doing almost 60 miles a week and like three hikes a week, about 60 miles. So it was really a big push to get done before that third week of October because the longer hikes are higher up and you kind of do those at the end when you're in shape. And if there's snow, you just can't do them or roads are closed. So about the third week of October is when people that are hiking all the trails try to finish up for that season. So that's the end. But I'd like to go back to the beginning because you started hiking at 58 with no other hiking experience or ardor for hiking before. So I'm very curious, how did you get inspired by this? What made you think to set this goal? It actually was interesting. I play a lot of tennis and was pretty athletic my whole life. But a tennis friend asked me to join her hiking group, which was called the Retired Citizens of Gatlinburg. And they set a pace and they had a person in the lead and a person behind. And you had to follow along between those two people. And I think the first three hikes I did with them, I was always way up ahead. And they finally reeled me in and said if I was going to hike with them, I had to hike at their pace and stay between the lead and the back. So on my fourth hike, I think I'm hiking along, and this woman in front of me, whom I've never met before, says, I've been to Mount LeConte three times this week. And I just piped in, I've never been to Mount LeConte. And she turned around and said, well, I'll take you. So I think the very next day, I hiked with her to LeConte, and we became absolutely the best lifelong friends. And we started hiking two to three days a week. She spent from April to October in the Smokies, and lived in Texas the rest of the year. And I live in Ontario, June to September. So we only had a small window at each end of our seasons to hike together. But we started hiking just on the Tennessee side because that's the easiest hikes to get to. And we hiked all the trails, I think, on the Tennessee side. And someone invited us to join a Wednesday hiking group. It was the first hike we hiked with this group was the last hike 
of four women that were finishing their 800 miles of trails. So we hiked with them. And after the hike, we looked at each other and we said, we can do this. So we got all excited about it. On that hike, the one thing that all these people on this hike, most of them had already finished all the trails. And the one thing they impressed on me was they kept missing the little one-mile trail that you had to basically walk 20 miles to get. And they would forget to do it. And then they'd have to go back, hike the 20 miles to get that little one mile. So I, at the end of that day, said, I'm going to plan all our hikes from now on. And I'm going to make sure we don't ever miss any of these little trails. So that sort of was the start of it. (laughs) Well, let's set the stage here because you had mentioned when we first spoke before we started recording, you just came back from Zion, which we know pretty well. There are plenty of trails there, but nowhere near the amount of trails of Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So how many trails are there and what's the mileage? Just so we can set the stage for how vast this project is. It's just under 800 miles of trails. I think right now it's 797 or something. And I think there's 151 trails. And I have broken them up into 76-day hikes, where the longest hike is 25 miles. But all of us that are doing all the trails and day hikes, it's actually easier than some of the 15 to 20-mile hikes because you go up to the top of Newfound Gap and then walk the AT, and you're basically walking the ridgeline almost level. You just some ups and downs and ups and downs. And then when you get to a certain spot, you go down. But even though it's 25 miles, it's not that hard. I just Googled how many miles of trails in Zion. And, you know, a lot of the trails are three miles, four miles, half a mile. And it's just so different for me hiking out there than hiking here in the Smokies, because almost all the trails are eight miles, or you can bring them all together to get any number of miles. So what is the longest hike and what is the shortest hike and how many hours does it take you to do those long hikes? The 25-mile hike, those four people that finished up in the Wednesday group the first day I hiked with them swore that they did it in eight hours. So they're hiking about three miles an hour, a little bit better. But again, it's pretty level. And by the time your body is ready for you to hike 25 miles, you are in really good shape or you should be. It took my group. 13 hours. But at the time, I had decided I was going to try to hike all 6,000 peaks in the southeast. And there were five of them on this 25-mile hike. So we did four of the five above 6,000 peaks also, which obviously slowed us down. But I don't know how many miles that added on. So how many of these hikes were with your Wednesday group? And how many did you do solo? How many did you do with your husband? Or how did you break this up? I, first of all, never solo. My friend Lida and I did, as I said, all the hikes on the Tennessee side together. And we actually got really scared one time. We were hiking up this trail to Leconte called Bullhead. And we were just coming around a big corner in the trail and a pack of about eight dogs came around the same corner coming in our direction. And we, of course, screamed. And the dogs had the equivalent of their scream. They were more scared than we were, I think. But It really scared us, even just to be hiking with two people. So after that, my philosophy is you ought to have three people at least. In case someone gets really hurt, one person can stay with them and the other person can hike out. Yeah, that's very sensible. Yeah, and another time, I was in my Wednesday group. At that time, there were maybe 12 of us that usually hiked. But we were way up high somewhere, walking on this trail, and these two really scary men with big beards and coveralls stepped out of the woods. And I'm convinced that they were illegally collecting ginseng. 
But I said to Lido, but, you know, what if we'd been alone? This startled us, everybody that was hiking. Of course, there were enough of us that we weren't worried, but it just makes you realize that things can happen when you're way back in the boondocks. That if you're by yourself, you just sometimes have no help for it. You're right that some of these trails that are less trafficked, one must take care. And soloing is never a great idea. And kind of having a plan and being in a group is probably always the best practice. So I think that was a pretty wise way to tackle this whole enormous project. So again, 800 miles worth of trails. That's in two years. So again, very well done on your end. So we have a few questions for you about some of your personal tastes. And I guess I'll start and I think Danielle will jump in. But so we have to ask the obvious, you know, which was your favorite hike? Is there one? Well, you know, people actually ask me that all the time. And I've, over the years, come up with some answers. But the more I think about it, I love every trail in the Smokies. Every single trail has something special about it or unique about it. And it's just so exhilarating to be out there hiking in the Smokies. My favorite hikes on my day hikes are the ones that start up at Clingman's Dome or Newfound Gap, which is right on the Tennessee-North Carolina border. You walk down into North Carolina, say, 14 to 18 miles, and then you end up at a reservoir, Fontana Reservoir, and you have to have a boat pick you up and take you to a marina where you have to have a car. So the logistics are pretty daunting, but those hikes are just so much fun to come down after 20 miles and get this nice boat ride. So you, you have to make those arrangements in advance. Yes, you do. And actually, in my hiking book, I take a lot of time and find every contact I possibly can for boats or car shuttles or buses, people that will, you know, meet you in these odd places and bring you home or drop you off and bring you home. And there's some of these long hikes where you end up in North Carolina, you're actually on what's called the road to nowhere. And I think you're like six miles from Bryson City, but there's a Boys and Girls Club in Bryson City that has a school bus that if you come after four o'clock, they will pick you up down in Bryson City and take you all the way back up through Maggie Valley and up Newfound Gap and drop you off at your car. And I imagine you explain this in your book. It kind of lays out some of these tips in terms of the logistics, right? I do. My book is organized like actually no other hiking book for the Smokies. I have just tables for every hike. I have my hikes numbered and color-coded on a map, and then I have a table and in the table, I tell you where you park your car, whether it's an in-and-out hike or a loop hike or a shuttle bus or a shuttle boat. And then I have cautions and talk about how to find that shuttle and so forth. So, for example, when you're hiking down from Clingman's Dome and you have to pick up the boat, you would have recommendations on who to call and when and how to reserve it and what seasonally when the boat's running, that sort of stuff for your readers. Yes, I do. And it's gotten more difficult because Fontana Marina that used to run just a power boat for three or four people, or they'd run a bigger boat for maybe 10 people, or they had a big pontoon boat for 20 or 30 people. And they were real flexible in what time you could get down there. So like you might say, I'm not going to get down until 6.30 or 7. I mean, you're doing a 20-mile hike, so you have to plan enough time. And they would always be there. But then Unfortunately, the marina changed hands, and the new owners are a little more restrictive, and so they will only pick up at a certain time. If you're not there, they leave. And I haven't actually done any of these long boat shuttle hikes since I finished all the trails, just again because the logistics are so difficult, but you have to get there. You've got to be there. One time, four of us were doing a 19-mile hike down Cold Spring Gap, and I think we were supposed to pick up the boat at 4.30, and we were about 
a mile and a half or two miles out, and one of the hikers was struggling. And so my friend Lida and said, we've got to get there and make sure the boat knows we're there. So she and I literally, after already hiking 17 miles, we ran or jogged the last two miles to get to the boat to make sure he waited for us. You know, there's logistics and timing and stamina, I guess, to, to hike all these trails. Well, that's a great point on stamina. So I think you would recommend uh, if you've been on your couch for the last six months and haven't been active at all, that's probably not the hike to start out with in the Smokies, right? That's exactly right. And I do suggest in the beginning, there's a lot of hikes that are only two miles because they're just little isolated, short trails. But I really try to impress on the reader and the person whose goal is to finish all the trails that they make sure to start on these shorter hikes and make sure they're in shape before they try the longer hikes. And along those lines, this is my fourth edition of my book, and I changed it dramatically added a whole bunch of information. And one of the things I added was a section on family-oriented hikes that are 10 miles or less and no more than 200 feet elevation gain per mile. And in my introduction, then I suggest that couch potatoes start with these family-oriented hikes, which are mostly in and out. So you can just go in like two miles if that's all you can do and come back out and work up your strength. Can you tell us more about some of your favorite hikes, especially for young children, since that's our perspective is we have two small children. So that's what we're most interested in. There's some trails that are fairly level and wide, which makes them really nice for families and their old railroad beds from the days when the Smokies were being logged. So like Middle Prong out of Tremont is a really nice wide. You can even push a stroller on it for about the first mile. It's not paved, but it's not big rocks or anything. And then another really favorite one of mine is Little River Trail out of Elkmont. It's wide also, and it follows the Little River, which is just a gorgeous hike because the river is pretty much always rushing and all sorts of pools and waterfalls and rapids. Our girls were mesmerized by the trails that were going along rivers, so I can certainly attest to that. And actually, the hike where we met you with our kids. Uh, White Oak Sink. White Oak Sink, right, So which had a great name. So. That hike was pretty special, including the time we were there. So that's where we met you. Do you want to talk a little bit about that hike? When I was introduced to White Oak Sinks, it was in 1998 by my friend Lida. Maybe 50 people knew about it. And it was just a fairy land. There was just one small trail going through it. And the whole floor was covered with shooting stars and purple flocks. And you could walk way back into this area where there was a Virginia bluebell hole. And it was just solid Virginia bluebells. And over the years, more and more people found out about it. Someone published an article in the paper about it, got some television coverage, and you saw the way it was. They call them social trails now, but there were just trails everywhere off that main trail, and people just aren't attuned to protecting plants. You know, they think they're just bushes or weeds or whatever, and so somebody sees a shooting star maybe 20 feet in through a bunch of trilliums, and they just walk through it and tromp them all. So I actually hadn't been in White Oak Sinks in four years. I told myself I'd never go back. I was just so depressed by what was happening in there. I used to beg the backcountry guy, George Minnick was his name, to try to protect White Oak Sinks. And he told me he just didn't have the resources. So this is the first year that these two women, a botanist and a data manager person, decided to try to take some action. And I guess they must have had support of their superiors. So they put us all volunteers down there every single day for the month of April and um, had us doing what I did with you, just 
pick up a group of hikers and chat with them and try to educate them a little bit. And they had a bunch of those social trails closed off, as you noticed, I'm sure. And I think they were really pleased with how well it went. So I believe they were contemplating closing like things completely, which would be my vote. But I think they said they might try it for another year and see if those social trails, if they can possibly revegetate. Liz, you're you're bringing up something that's been a recurring theme for Danielle and me in this project we're doing with the national parks is, you know, we had no other point of reference. So our first time there, we thought it was wonderful. It looked great. We were there. So the punchline is we were there at peak wildflower season in uh, spring at White Oak Sink. We don't have that point of reference of what it had been in, in our travels around the national parks, Zion, Virgin Islands. This theme keeps coming up of loving the parks to death. And frankly, not that Daniel and I have an answer for it. Matter of fact, we're encouraging people to use the parks. I guess the only other answer we have is get off some of the main trails that everyone's on. But this one is a backcountry trail. So we don't have an answer. I'm glad we got to see it. But uh, at the same time, I understand your concern. So you knowing the park with 800 trails, I mean, what, what is your opinion on this, this loving it to death perspective? How do you wrestle with it? And how do you reconcile it? You know, for the most part, I think what it thinks is just sort of an anomaly in the park because it was so special. And I think people go down in there that don't really have an appreciation for what it represented. And truthfully, I think you saw about 20% of what it was in its heyday for blooms. Wow. That's incredible because it was really amazing while we were there. Now, I do have to add the caveat that wild hogs had dug up much of the floor, which is where all the wild flocks was. There is a problem with wild hogs. But the number of trilliums were just way down. At one point, I was down there. This was probably 12 years ago, maybe, and saw horses in there. And I actually called the backcountry guy, George Minnick, and he took action on that. But I think about two years later, I went to the bluebell hole, which I always used to do. And there was like a swath of just mud that was probably four feet wide that went from the top of the trail all the way down into the bluebell hole. And it was just solid mud. And I think horses had gone down there into the bottom. And the day I got there, there were a bunch of people down there photographing the bluebells. And then they tried to climb out and it was slippery and they were falling into the bluebell. <laughs> I mean, it was just astonishing how people just don't have a feel for how to protect a resource. The parks do a great job of public education, but there's still so much more to be done. I do find that people just need to understand they're there to enjoy the park, but they need to respect it too. And I don't think people are trying to harm the park on purpose. They just don't know. Right. And you know, that was actually one thing I took away from Zion and Bryce Canyon. There was no litter anywhere. It was amazing how clean those parks were and hundreds of people on the trails we were on. Now, in the Smokies, that's not always the case. The more popular trails, I don't think people intentionally are littering, but, you know, you stick a candy wrapper in your pocket and then it slides itself out and it's on the trail. And I probably pick up four or five things in an eight-mile hike, just, you know, maybe the lid to a water bottle. And I just think people aren't, I don't know, I guess I can't explain it. Nor can we. We're in the same situation as you, where we're trying to reconcile the fact that we want to visit the parks, we want to enjoy the parks, but at some level, are we adding to the stress of the parks? And it wasn't an intentional theme of this whole podcast series, but it's becoming more of an emergent theme, even this one, where to us, 
At the end of our trip, we asked each other what was a highlight. That hike for us was a total highlight. And you're telling us it's a shadow of its former self. Well, but, you know, I'm thrilled that you enjoyed it that much. I mean, it still was special. It still is special. And if the Park Service is now trying to protect it, if they can recover some of those areas that have been so damaged by overuse, it may partially be restored. What it takes is education. Like I said, we volunteers, as you know, we just walked along and sort of just talked about, you know, stay on the trail, Zoom, don't walk in to take your pictures. And I um, really appreciated that. And I was super impressed with the effort and then the number of you. And I learned because I am not well-versed in wildflowers, so it was just really helpful and enhanced my experience. And it also educated me, so it made me an advocate for white oak sink and just respecting the plants in general. Just to tie off that hike and that day where we met you, do you want to recount the story about seeing our kids and then your subsequent trip to Zion? The first thing that I noticed when I saw you and your family was your two girls who had on khaki vests and they were just covered with junior ranger badges and i actually asked them what they all were and you told me all the national parks you'd been in and they get the junior ranger badges every national park they go to and i just think it's a absolutely wonderful program that the park service has but the interesting thing is when i was in zion i saw two little boys that had to be almost the same size as your little girls and they had vests on that were just covered with junior ranger badges too. And I just really made me think of your family and just made me feel really happy. What a wonderful thing that is and how wonderful that parents would get their children involved in that junior ranger program. I just feel like they can't learn early enough and having the junior ranger badges just, I think, really gives them the goal of trying to do better and learn more about the parks. Exactly. We love it. Our kids absolutely love it. They get the activity books and it it engages them more and they are interested and stay interested in the hike while they're doing the activities and learning. And then taking the pledge is really great too. The junior ranger pledge with the actual park ranger to respect and protect the park. I was really impressed with how attentive they were to what I was saying. I just felt like they knew what they were doing down in there and they were comfortable hikers and it just made me feel good to meet your children. Well, thank you. They, they clearly take after their mother. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we spent some time here in the backcountry a bit and you're hitting all those trails, but let's go to some of the more obvious things. So in the front country, what are some of your tips, Liz, around some of the more Abrams Falls, for example, some of the more obvious hikes, when to go, and if you're trailing along with a family, how you should tackle it. Do you have any tips about that since you've kind of seen these from all angles? Most of those lower hikes are quite crowded in the busy season. In the fall, from about 1st of October to maybe the first week of November, the towns inside and Gatlinburg side of the park are just absolutely bumper to bumper with people looking at the leaves and hiking the trails. Most of us that live around here pretty much stay out of the towns inside in the newfound gap part of the Smokies in the fall. We go over to Cataluchi or up to Cosby where there really aren't that many people. Hikes like Abrams Falls, it's a wonderful hike and you can deal with the people. You know, you might get there and there might be 40 people sitting there having their lunch, but the hike itself is wonderful. Abrams Falls is wonderful. Again, summertime in Cades Cove is a nightmare and Abrams Falls comes out of Uh, Cades Cove. It's bumper-to-bumper traffic for 11 and a half miles and really slow moving. They tried a pilot program for a shuttle bus in Cades Cove alone 
a very generous man from Knoxville donated two electric shuttle buses. Fortunately, they only held, I think, 19 people each, and it just didn't take, so they didn't pursue it. One of the things was there was no, like in Zion, they have the gateway town was at Springdale where they have the big parking lot, but Townsend didn't want a big parking lot, and that's the closest access to Cape Cove, and they just couldn't find a place to put a big shuttle bus parking lot. Anyway, so Cape Cove actually gets more visitors annually than over half of our national parks. The Smoky Mountains is the most heavily visited park in the U.S. I think Cades Cove might get five or six million visitors a year. That's one of the great things about Smokies is you're comparing it to Zion a bit, which we know a little bit about. Uh, You know, Zion, there's only a few places of ingress and egress, only one place where there's front country camping and lodging. Whereas what was nice about the Smokies, and we learned this the hard way, right? We camped in Cosby for half of our trip, and then we camped in Cades Cove for the other half. You know, it was fine, but we just should have been in Cosby and stayed put there because you can be front country camping in a different end of the park. And if one wants to go back, you can go to another part of the park, front country camping, and you have an access to a whole different area of the park. And that's what's, to me, pretty magical about Smokies, obviously, in the topography and the woods and the history. I thought the accessibility and the facilities to reach into different campsites to base yourself out of from different areas, I thought that was a very, very convenient way to see the park. You know, I guess I wanted to kind of wind this back to you again in your project is what is special to you about the Smokies? It's your home park. It's your backyard. But I have this feeling that even if you were living in Texas, you would be drawn back to the Smokies at some point. So I, I would love to get your opinion on what makes it so special for you. A, because there there are so many trails and they are so accessible. Again, when we were out in Zion and Bryce, we had to drive so far just to do a four-mile hike. And there just weren't that many options in either of those parks for the front country. We obviously couldn't do any backcountry hiking. I don't even know if there was any there. But in the Smokies, like you said, I think there's five gateway towns and each one has its unique ecosystems. They're all slightly different as far as the forest goes and what you'll see in the park. Cataloochee is just off I-40 going toward Asheville and that's actually one of my favorite places to hike. Many of them are a nicer family hiking trail. Brian and our youngest went on, I want to say it's the Boogeyman Trail? Boogerman. Oh, Boogerman. I knew it was a funny name. <laughs> Which she thought was hilarious. That's why she wanted to go. She thought that was hilarious. And so she wanted that. That's her sense of humor. And actually, leave aside the name, which is hilarious. I really, really like that hike. Again, it was along a stream and it was lovely. And she loved it. And the name. I don't know if you remember that one from all your hikes, but that was a highlight for us. Yeah, I remember it. It comes in at Mount Sterling. And it was a beautiful trail. There's a few trails they've had some erosion problems or fires or blowdowns like Little Bottoms Trail out of Abrams Creek Campground. We hiked that maybe six weeks ago. And there's a whole area where you're walking through burn and soil erosion. And, you know, those aren't so pretty. And yet you get a feel for the changes that happen in the park. So, you know, in their own way, they have a certain beauty. I saw flowers there that you don't see anywhere else, like pink corridalis. You only see it on those slopes where you had a lot of erosion. You know, there's something good in the bad things that happen in the park. I was curious to talk more about your favorite um, family-friendly hikes. Um, And if we can talk about ones that you recommend your favorites for going with young children. 
Finley Canyon is a lovely trail. It's off of the road to Cates Cove. It's a real gentle climb up to Boat Mountain. And actually, that turned out to be a fabulous wildflower hike. I did it once in the height of the spring wildflowers, and there were just wildflowers everywhere. It's five and a half miles round trip and less than 600 feet total gain. The Schoolhouse Gap Trail that you went into White Oak Sinks on, that's a nice trail. It has a little bit of up as you get up past the trail into White Oak Sinks, but it's quite nice for children. And then Middle Prong is a lovely, lovely trail. That's the one out of Tremont that's quite wide and gently elevating. Metcalf Bottoms is a nice hike for a family. And you have the Walker Sisters cabin and the schoolhouse that they taught in is along that hike. And Laurel Falls. Did you do Laurel Falls while you were there? Yes, we did. And that was the one where Brian and our oldest were way ahead of myself and my younger daughter, leaving us in the dust. However, because of that, we were fortunate to see a bear at the very top of a tree and it kept climbing higher and we must have stood there for a good 15 minutes or more watching it and it kept climbing higher and higher and higher and I couldn't imagine how could it possibly go any higher and these branches were so small at the top of the tree and we were a safe distance away but we just saw a couple of people it was just a small group of people with their heads up and I said come on they must be looking at something let's go see what it is <laughs> and that was amazing all my hiking in the smokies i think i've only seen two bears up close both times they just ran across the trail and again they were trying to get away from me faster than i could even think to get away from them it's quite unusual but that's a popular trail and there's a lot of food on that trail so that's probably why there was a bear there oh okay i think that same day it was dusk and we were on the road and there was a bear dam. And so we pulled over and got out and looked and there was a mama and two cubs. So that was four bears in one day. <laughs> well, you know, and the most famous spring wildflower hike is Porter's Creek, which is out of Greenbrier. And you only walk in about less than two miles and you see just a, an enormous array of wildflowers. And that trail has been fairly well preserved. You might go and there might be 100 people on it, so there still are people stepping off the trail. And truthfully, I don't go there in the spring. I go to some other trails that are nearby that have just as many wildflowers and not the number of people. But Porter's Creek is a famous wildflower hike. Do you want to tell us some of your favorite wildflower hikes? Ramsey Cascade is right pretty close to Porter's Creek, and I hiked there one spring when Porter's Creek was in its peak, and I saw just an unbelievable number of wildflowers on Ramsey Cascade Trail. That's in Greenbrier also. Jake's Creek, I've seen tons of wildflowers, and two springs ago, I was surprised that Finley Cane had just tons of wildflowers along it. So I think maybe the trails that they're not so wide and they haven't been impacted so much by people or horses, I think you'll just see a much greater variety of wildflowers. Wildflowers happen to be my passion, and I've Every spare place in my book, every blank page, I filled with pictures of wildflowers if I could. And the thing that's kind of fun is that I call it walking into spring. As the spring progresses, if you go higher up, higher up, higher up, you'll have the same number of wildflowers, but they'll be later blooming because you're at higher elevation. So you can hike up at Clingman's Dome or um, Key Along Newfound Gap way into May and see all the wildflowers that you saw down in early April on Porter's Creek. So I think that's a lot of us that like wildflowers. That's what a lot of us do is just hike up into the spring. 
Liz, we'd love to close with a favorite story from one of your hikes when you were completing all 800 miles of hikes. Do you have a favorite story that really encapsulates your love of the Smokies? One story that I always come back to is my friend Lyda and I were hiking up on the AT at Spence Field. And it was quite a long hike. And up there, we met a couple from Germany that were just backpacking for a week. And we had lunch with them and talked to them and chatted and told them goodbye. And about three days later, Lyda and I were hiking up on Gregory Bald, which is another real strenuous hike. But it's a famous place for the flame azaleas. And we were up there eating lunch. And we looked up, and here's the two German people with their backpacks just walking along. And so they sat down and had lunch with us again. And, you know, it's just so cool and so coincidental that we were there at the same minute that they were walking through. You know, it just seemed hard to believe. But to me, that's just mountain magic, I guess. (laughs) Mountain magic. Mountain magic, indeed. Well, Liz Etnayer, thank you very much again for joining Daniel and me. Again, your book is A Day Hiker's Guide to All the Trails in the Smoky Mountains, which is in its fourth edition, I believe. Liz Etnayer, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we really appreciate the conversation. Well, you're quite welcome, and I thoroughly enjoyed meeting you both a month or so ago. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find a link to Liz Etnayer's book, Day Hiker's Guide to the Trails in the Smoky Mountains, in the show notes for this episode on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. While there, consider clicking on Support Our Show. You may find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you like the show, write a review and please tell your friends. You may also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or send us your comments at everybodysnationalparks.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybodysnationalparks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now. Oh,